we can get into a whole other conversation about like what is normal and like who gets to define normal because you know so much of the previous research and you know treatment on autism is that there is something fundamentally wrong with the person and I don't know I'm just putting this out idea out there but it just could be a possibility that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the person but they just have a socially different way of being in in the world that's just another individual difference such as you know some people have brown eyes some people have blue eyes but we wouldn't say that you know one is fundamentally normal or better right ADHD Rewired episode 316. This is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mention on today's show. You can support us on Patreon, sign up for our email newsletter, you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups, and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups. You can do all of this at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Becca, who is going by Becca. Um, Becca is earning her master's degree in industrial organizational psychology. Recently diagnosed with ADHD, uh, Becca is interested in how ADHD shows up differently in women and how personality traits such as conscientiousness change how ADHD is expressed in individuals. Becca hopes to use her knowledge in individual differences such as ADHD and personality and training as an industrial organizational psychologist to help organizations create inclusive work environments for employees. Becca, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad that you are here and i um, happy to have you. So um, you got some interesting things that you're kind of looking into and that you're uh, just exploring both sounds like personally and academically. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we just start with a little bit about kind of who you are? All right. So um, when tell us about kind of diagnosis, when you were diagnosed. Um, let's start there. So in in terms of ADHD, um, I I was diagnosed with, with that um, sometime like September, like this uh, September, October 2019. And then. I was also, uh, and then I was also diagnosed with, with autism when I was three or four years old. And so like, um, yeah, like I, I, um, I, I mentioned both just because there is a, a lot of overlap between ADHD and autism. So, um, when I, yeah. So like when I learned more about ADHD, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked. I was like, Oh, that, that makes sense. But then just in terms of me personally, like, um, you know, something I'm figuring out in terms of my, sim- my symptoms is, you know, like what is ADHD? What is autism? And what is the overlap? Because some, um, you know, because for, for, for example, you know, um, some ADHD aspects or, or symptoms such as, you know, um, I don't know, just like anecdotally, like, um, I hear and like read a lot about how people with ADHD, like lose their keys or, you know, lose important stuff. And like, they can't keep their physical space clean. And that, and that's never been an issue for me. And, and for me, I think it's because of be, uh, of being on on the autism spectrum, and then also being high on the personality trait of conscientiousness. Because with people on the, the the autism spectrum, you know, they're 
they're very particular about their their environment and like they want things organized as a way to um you know to like help them with their anxiety so like for that aspect of ADHD I kind of feel like that's maybe canceled out if you will by you know being on the spectrum and then also just being high on the personality trait conscientiousness which is um you know, like being uh, organized and responsible and I uh, have notes on conscientiousness, you know, um, uh, achievement, striving, discipline. Um, self-awareness, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is really interesting, because if we look at uh, some of like Russell Barkley's recent research on uh, conscientiousness being sort of that that key sort of protective factor when uh, looking at sort of life expectancy with ADHD because um, his research that has shown that ADHD does actually, in fact, as a, as a, as a pretty significant correlation between ADHD and lower life expectancy. Um, but the, the variable of, of uh, people with high conscientiousness seem to sort of skip that um, correlation. Um, right. And, you know, with my, uh, the work that I have done in my, how I'm familiar with, with autism, conscientiousness also is not always the most uh, um, prevalent trait that you may see in, in autism. Um, so from a personal level, uh, Becca, I think this is fascinating that um, you have both ADHD, autism, and you identify as having a high level of conscientiousness. Yeah, uh, not to, um, well, why not? It's a pod, not to be like challenging, but to be challenging. Okay. I, um, I, I challenge the, the statement that um, people, you know, that that, that people with, with autism, you know, can't like aren't high in conscientiousness or that that's not a very common thing. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I think it's one of those things where um, just where we're just in terms of research. We we don't really know because, uh, you know, there, there there's a saying that if you've met one person with autism, yes. you've met one person yes. with autism yes. and that it's a spectrum. And I think it's. And there are probably a lot of people with high functioning autism who aren't diagnosed because their symptoms weren't severe enough to warrant treatment. And, you know, they very well, well, actually, probably they're just um, in the middle of conscientiousness because most people are in the middle of just any given of the big five personality traits and see that and see, that's the thing with, um, you know, cause, um, uh, Russell Barkley also says that, you know, people with ADHD tend to be lower on conscientiousness, but I don't think we know that because if, um, but this is based you know, on studies that he's done though. Okay. But, but, but what, but what we don't know is so for everyone in the population, if most people are, you know, in the middle of traits like conscientiousness, extroversion, et cetera, then if, um, then if you have ADHD, you know, it like, is it the ADHD that is causing the behaviors that look like low conscientiousness, or do you truly have low conscientiousness and ADHD? So you know I did I mean? a, uh, a, um, a, just a quick Google search to get a, a, uh, an internet based definition of conscientiousness. Uh, so according to 123test.com, which I'm not going to attest to its liability, reliability of it, uh, conscientiousness is about how a person controls, regulates, and directs their impulses. Individuals with a high level of conscientiousness on career tests are good at formulating long range goals, organizing and planning routes to these goals and working consistently to achieve achieve them. Uh, despite short-term obstacles they may encounter, other people usually perceive a conscientious personality type as a responsible and reliable person. Yeah, it, uh, um, it, it sounds like that really wouldn't fit people who have ADHD, but like, I don't know if I'm ma making sense, but just in terms of how we measure personality and mental illness slash neurodevelopmental uh, differences um i think 
like I, I in terms of things like you know behavior I think I think we have a hard time as psychologists like differentiating you know um is like is this behavior caused by ADHD symptoms or is it caused by one's level of of conscientiousness you know and I think with any diagnosis you know in uh as you said, if you've met one person with autism, you met one person is that we can look at those diagnoses from a starting point of, okay, in a, as a, 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 a label or cluster of, of understanding of people who have, you know, these sort of behavioral characteristics, um, meet the threshold for this particular diagnosis. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that somebody who's doing a certain behavior or a lack of a certain behavior um, is doing that uh, directly because of. So we're really looking at a lot of coral like correlation um, between a diagnosis and a, a particular behavior. Um, you know, because I I know people who will you know most people with ADHD have are would identify as being pretty time blind. But I have also met people who said that that is not an issue for them. I you know a lot of people with ADHD might have uh, what some might refer to as like foot and mouth syndrome, where they put their foot in the mouth, where they speak they speak before they think. And people also with ADHD don't necessarily have that issue. Um, there are people with, with uh, who are on the autism spectrum who say, you know, is it, you've probably gotten this a lot, is that say, oh, that person can't be have autism. They they made great eye contact, which is like, oh <laughs> so, so I'm, I imagine you've experienced that one as well. Um, where it's like that, you know, sure, some people with autism have a hard time making eye contact, and so do some people with ADHD, but doesn't mean that you can't make good eye contact. Yeah. And, and also, um, you know, it, it's like when, and, 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 you know, when, when, when people say things like, oh, like you can't be on the spectrum because you're so smart and you're so sociable. I mean, I know they're coming from a, a good place, but what they're actually doing is they're like in, they're like invalidating totally. all the challenges totally. that I've experienced growing up i think anytime any you know definitely any lay person and sometimes even professional starts a sentence saying you can't have so-and-so because and they're pointing to one thing like in both autism and adhd there is not a one thing that says if you do this one thing then you can't have this Right. right. So it, it yeah. really does come a place of, of a misunderstanding. And I think it's, it's really important for, uh, for listeners to understand is that, um, you know, it's not when, when someone says that, as, as Becca said, I think it does, it, the intent is they're trying to maybe make you feel better, but like really they're just kind of being an informed a-hole. Um, and it's not our job to be like asshole whisperers and have to like convince everybody of it. But I think for a discussion amongst, uh, and uh, for us, I think it's important to understand those sort of nuances and understand that we are all different in the way we show up, whether it's with, you know, ADHD alone, ADHD with autism, autism alone, or any combination or permutation of those things with other things. Like, we're all going to show up a little bit differently with a lot of overlap as well. Right. So what got you interested in studying this? Um, in in studying industrial organizational psychology well, or ADHD? Uh, conscientiousness in this realm is that what you're are you studying conscientiousness in the realm of or in organizational psychology or these two separate sort of interest paths uh, these are more separate interests okay. but um yeah but uh but but essentially um i've always been really interested in personality and individual differences and you know looking back at probably I probably stemmed from being on the autism spectrum and just really feeling um, profoundly like just misunderstood most of my life. And um, and I, I first got into psychology because like for, you know, for two reasons, like one, I wanted to understand like why everyone in my family is really crazy. Um, <laughs> but, then, uh, but, but then also um I wanted to understand the individual differences like in myself and other people, because I felt like um, if I could understand them from an intellectual perspective, then 
you know, that could help me like get connection and, you know, just, um, yeah. Have- so, let me ask you this, uh, Becca. So, um, Assuming that listeners are starting to have, uh, I mean, there'll be a, a range of understanding from they're just learning they have ADHD. Um, and so they're really learning about it. But I want to actually ask you, um, what taking the assumption that people have a good idea about what ADHD is, but they're not really sure what autism is. Can you explain, um, uh, your understanding of autism, um, and then how it shows up for you specifically? Sure. And I'm, uh, I'm just gonna, uh, disclaimer this is this is my understanding because um it's kind of embarrassing but for someone who has autism I feel like I actually don't really understand it but I think that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about how um autism looks different in individuals so again my understanding autism is like ADHD it is a neurodevelopmental disorder um in like in, in how people like in how people socially communicate and there's a wide spectrum so on the um low or severe end of the spectrum that's probably what most people think of when they think of uh someone on the autism spectrum you know someone who's nonverbal, who um maybe um, you know, maybe they flap their hands or just do other things with their body as a way of as a way of self soothing their internal system. Rocking, humming, sort of those, what they call stereotyped behaviors. Yes, thank you. And then the um, and then on the uh, higher end of the spectrum which would also be uh, what used to be considered Asperger's disorder, but now it's all just clumped in terms of autism spectrum disorder. So high functioning slash Asperger's um, are people with uh, average to above average intelligence. They can talk, they can uh, use spoons and and, and forks. And, um, you know, but they still have, issues socially and communicating in ways that I can't explain well, but like random. So I bring up the whole, um, spoon and fork thing because so, um, uh, so, so like in every County, um, there is, I I don't know the, the name of it, but basically I'm like a client of social services from when I was diagnosed as a kid with autism. It's just like, you know, a case manager and uh, they they don't do this now, but every two years, you know, a case manager would, you know, come, come to my house and just, you know, talk to to me and my mom. And the last interview I I had was when I was 18 and, you know, like they asked me, you know, like, can I use a spoon and fork independently? And I was just so like, flabbergasted and just kind of annoyed, you know, cause like, I'm sure in a very technical sense, like, sure. You can't assume that just because someone can have a conversation with you that they can't use the spoon and the fork. But I think, I think it's safe to assume for 99% of people, but it, it, it just, it just like represents kind of just cause essentially the help and services that people with high function, autism need are very different from people in the middle or lower end of the spectrum, you know, in terms of just, um, I don't know, just living independently and just being a person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too, because when, uh, when the, in the DSM five, when they said, when they basically said, all right, Asperger's, you're out of here, uh, and just clumped everything into to autism. Um, I know of lots of people who sort of self identify as Aspies. Um, they were pretty pissed about that. Um, and cause it really, they, it was a sense of identity. Um, from a very sort of like research clinical perspective, the one thing that I think did make sense um about that is that it, it used to be the criteria for for autism is that there was impairment in uh communication in social interaction and in um sort of repetitive stereotyped behavior 
right? So that was autism. Asperger's, it was those things except, uh, um, the, the language. They said there's no issues with language. But then the argument is, and it's an argument that I think makes sense, that you can't really separate language and, um, and communication because we communicate through language. And so, you know, with some people with, with autism who were maybe late to speak or had language and then lost it and then maybe later regain it, they see in adulthood, there's no functional differences, uh, for individuals who are higher on the spectrum. Um, so from a sort of clinical model, it sort of made sense to group it together. I, I still think that there should still be an Asperger subtype um, because I think it just helps people understand it better. Um, it gives more a, a more descriptive language to, to sort of talk about it. Because um, when people hear autism, yeah, I mean, it depends on what your exposure to it is. It may be the uh, the individual who has a lot of challenges, who the who's maybe nonverbal and humming and rocking. To um, but it could also be you know like and I'm saying this sort of tongue in cheek, but like half of uh, of um, uh, Silicon Valley, right? Like the computer nerds who are just brilliant, right? Like, so you can have way above high average IQ, you know, really gifted IQ and like struggle to like, ma- like manage a home, do shopping and other sort of like daily living skills. Um, so autism can look like a lot of different things as ADHD can. Right. Okay. Um, what I want to do is take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, I want to, um, kind of talk a little bit more about sort of some of your, the things that you've been interested in around like organization and just really trying to, um, sort of identify these sort of individual differences looking at, um, how, um, both how gender and conscientiousness, uh, um, sort of manifest itself. Um, and also we'll talk a little bit about burnout. So we'll, we will do that when we come back. So we will be right back. ADHD Rewired Coaching Group alumni. If you have ever been a member of one of our coaching groups and you are not currently a member of our alumni membership community, I sent you an email last week with an invitation to join us in our alumni membership community free for one month. We have a lot of really great stuff going on right now. I lead a weekly planning session. We do daily adult study halls, daily work check-ins, happy hours, open mics, meditation classes, and more. If you did not get the email with the link to join, send a message to support at ADHDrewired.com with the subject line, ARC alumni link and just ask for the link to join that's support at adhdrewired.com with a subject line arc alumni link join us free for one month and it's only 39.99 after that and you can cancel anytime this is for all of our coaching and accountability group alumni you do have to go through the coaching and accountability groups first to join our membership community Our spring coaching and accountability groups are starting this week. And if you missed signing up, go to coachingrewired.com and click the blue button to be added to our summer coaching group interest list. Our summer coaching and accountability groups will start July 13th and run 10 weeks through September 18th. This will be our 21st season. Our coaching groups are virtual online. We use Zoom. We do it three days a week for 10 weeks. It's intense. Coaching group members sign in to Zoom from all over the country and some out of the country and find help and community right here. Go to coachingrewired.com and click the blue button to be added to our invitation list for our summer sessions. That's coachingrewired.com. In case you didn't know, April is Autism Awareness Month. There is a saying in the autism community that if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. I hope you enjoy this conversation with today's guest, a listener who preferred not to use her real name, so we're going to call her Becca. She has both autism and ADHD. All right, we are back. And uh, uh, during the break, Becca and I were just talking about the sort of this idea that we just all want to really just be seen and um, and accepted and uh, understood and feel the sense of belonging. Because um, uh, 
right as we went into break, but I was like, did I explain autism well enough? And I was just kind of sharing with her that um, I think so much of the value of these conversations is not just the words that we say, but in a sense, but how we actually say them. Because I think people hear themselves in in our stories, in your story, in my story, and all, and all the stories that that uh, the guests who come on this podcast share. Um, so it is, you know, just because you have ADHD or just because you have autism doesn't mean that you are need to be are expected to be the spokesperson for this entire population, right? You're sharing your experience, and that's really what we're what we're doing here um, on the show. Okay, talk a little bit about your experience, Becca, um, about how like the, the role of sort of gender, um, and because you you when you first scheduled this call with me, um, to because you were interested in, in coming on the show. You were interested in exploring how gender and conscientiousness uh, uh, sort of changes the manifestation of, of ADHD. Yeah, totally. Okay, so in, in our society, in terms of gender, um, you know, women are kind of expected to be the ones that manage the household and are kind of expected to be like the social organizers of their of their household and and family and just also stereotypically I think women are just people think women are more um organized than men so just you know some of like the um stereotypical like ADHD symptoms of you know not knowing where your your keys are or you know not being able to find something um societally you know uh, people kind of think that's endearing for, for men like, Oh, you know, there's Joe, you know, he, you know, forgot this appointment or, uh, you know, like he's just always forgetting stuff. But, you know, if women with ADHD like exhibit those same behaviors of being forgetful or just um, missing, de- missing details you know, like they're, they're looked at more harshly as, you know, like, oh, like you should be on top of things or, you know, why, like, like, why aren't you more, more organized? You know, like, why don't you care? And yeah, I think probably it, it, it just comes from the the fact that we don't have equality in our society in terms of men and women. And I just think in general that we just judge women more harshly than men. Well, and I think too, especially for, for, uh, for a lot of women with ADHD, um, it's sort of doubly hard because there is sort of that expectation to not just manage all like the, the household stuff, um, and the, the kids and the, you know, the, the meals and the shopping and something that Brene Brown talks about and make it all look easy. Yes. And, you know, look good while doing <laughs> right, it. Right. Right. Totally. Right. And we're like, uh, oh, no, I should have started dinner 30 minutes ago. Uh, I forgot to go to the store. Uh, we don't have anything to eat. What are we going to do? Right. I mean, that's and that is often like the narrative for for some women with ADHD. And it's and so there's that sort of added shame that sort of comes along with those expected roles. Um, that's really hard. That's man, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And yeah, there's totally the, the shame and, and the guilt because, um, I mean, not that this isn't hard for neurotypical women, I'm sure it is, but it's, but, but these things are definitely harder for women with, with ADHD you know, and so, I mean, especially if you, if you're a woman who has ADHD, but you're undiagnosed and you, um, you know, like notice your, your, your friends, you know, like they're able to, um, look good, like while going to work and, you know, um, and they have, they don't have trouble like managing their tasks at work and they're able to like meal prep and, you know, um, and, and maybe, and, and maybe you're, and maybe like myself, you're a woman with ADHD and you're high on conscientiousness and you're also a perfectionist. So like, you know, you have the, you know, so like you have this desire and like the, this work ethic to, you know, 
want to work hard, but you just struggle in ways that neurotypical people don't struggle with. And then you just feel, and then you just feel really bad, you know, and then you feel guilty and, and, and shame. And so then, and, and so then for me, you know, um, and I'm sure with a lot of other women, you know, what happens is, um, you know, like we, like we maybe like start to withdraw from others because, um, you know, because like if, if we're just having trouble, just man, managing our, our, our lives because of our ADHD, it's like, we may withdraw from others because a, like maybe we're stressed, we're too stressed out to make time for social relationships or B maybe we feel that we're not as deserving to spend time with friends because it's like, oh, well, um, I didn't finish these things for school and work, so I need to work through the weekend. And then, but the problem with that is like, you know, that, like those things contribute to, to burnout, you know, the like overworking yourself contributes to burnout. And then also the lack of social relationships also contributes to burnout because even if you're, um, because even if you're experiencing a lot of stress and you're working hard, you know, if you have like social relationships kind of serve as this protective barrier, you know, against some of the negative aspects of burnout, such as physical exhaustion and just feeling like your work doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So what actually, so you were diagnosed with autism uh, as a, a pretty young kid. Um, what led to the diagnosis of ADHD? Kind of what was going on at the time? Oh, oh. <laughs> well, okay. I'm sensing a good story coming. <laughs> um, uh, well, there's no need to be embarrassed. I'm sure people in your community <laughs> can relate to this. So this was, okay. So, um, so, so this was in August and I, um, and I was, and I, I recently like moved back home to my parents' house. So I was like, um, you know, I had like moved away for, for grad school for a couple years and in true. Um, and so moving, Hey, that involves packing. <laughs> and so in true ADHD fashion, the week before I move, um, am I packing? No, I'm <laughs> wasting time on the internet, looking at fa- Facebook, you know, cause um, yeah, that's just what we with ADHD do. And, um, and, and on Facebook, I, I saw, um, a, a video from, uh, Jessica McCabe on mm-hmm. how to get out of the door on time. And, and that just, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I struggle with this so much. And, and, and so with being high on conscientiousness, you know, um, I would say for the most part, like, I am on time, but I'm like right on time because if I didn't have ADHD, you know, like my um, conscientiousness is high. So like, you know, my personality um, like predisposes me to, you know, want to get to places early, but because I have ADHD and high on conscientiousness, I feel like it kind of cancels each other out because a lot of people with ADHD are like late so I'm like right on time but oh my gosh it is so it is so hard to be on 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 time and I uh, I don't even remember like the specifics of the tips of the video or what it was about but it just really resonated with me and then of course instead of packing I just you know watched a lot of her yeah, yeah, because I think like the, the the autism too. Because I think maybe this is both an autism and ADHD thing where you can um, perseverate on something and hyperfocus. Mm-hmm. So um, instead of packing, you know, it's like no, we're going to become like a little like expert on you know ADHD and yeah, and just those. Tell me what for you is if you can identify like the hardest part for you about having ADHD. Um, I would say it's uh, so many things. Okay. I'll try to be like, well, okay, there you go. Organized <laughs> because, uh, cause when, 
Because one of the things I learned is that organization, it's not just about, you know, your physical space. It's, you know, it's mental. And yeah, like mentally, I am so not organized. And that manifests in so many different ways and areas in terms, you know, because being able, being cognitively organized, you know, that enables you to be able to prioritize tasks, um, plan papers. Um, just if, if I can just maybe describe what my mind feels like, it just, yeah. so, okay. It's, um, just words to describe my mind, um, chaotic, overwhelming, and too fast. Like there are just like so many, there, there are just so many thoughts at the same time. And it gets overwhelming in terms of just everything in terms of communicating in terms of, you know, what, what to say. And then in terms of, um, executive function, like what, what to act on. What about, um, having autism? What for you is the hardest, uh, part for you by having autism? Maybe not, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, feeling, feeling very overwhelmed by large, large groups of people. So because of the, the social piece or the sensory kind of component of it, or maybe both. Both. Uh, so maybe describe to us a little bit about how, um, uh, if you have any sort of sensory challenges, maybe sort of what's that like for you? Um, okay. Well, I was, um, uh, I was at a, a conference last year for the society of industrial organizational psychology and, um, wow, just so many people and loud and, um, yeah, just the large amounts of people, the loudness of it, the anxiety and the, the newness of it, you know, cause just personally, like, Oh, I hate, ne- I hate networking so much. Have I just, you ever met anybody who says, I love networking? Yes. You have. Yeah. They, <laughs> is this a fictional character or is this a real person who loves networking? Um, well, maybe a possibility. Maybe they say, maybe, maybe they're lying. Maybe they say they like networking, but maybe they really don't. Maybe they just say that because they want to like, look like a cool professional. So, okay. Maybe. Yeah. No, networking is especially like professionally. It's that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and I think too is what's interesting is I think the, uh, when we look at sort of functional impairment, uh, there is a there is a lot of overlap with ADHD and autism in functional impairment. I think, or um, from a sort of neurobiological level, though, it's sort of it stems from a different place. Oh, huh, that's interesting because I, I thought that with autism and, and and ADHD that they both have. Um, Impairments in the executive functions of the brain and the prefrontal cortex. Right. And um, if you ever looked at the work of, uh, of uh, Michelle Garcia Winner, who does work around social thinking, um, uh, she's a speech and language pathologist. Um, I, I know I did one of her. I don't know if I actually met her, but I did one of her like workshop therapy things yeah so yeah because no so her she talks about you know you have your your social cognition and you have your your executive function but really like social communication is social executive function because you're having to like plan organize attend um and mentally shift all in real time to uh stimuli coming at you in real time and so, which is why, you know, having, uh, why social, um, interactions can be so challenging, um, both for, uh, people with autism as well as those with, with ADHD. And I think that when we know that, you know, women with, with ADHD are, um, uh, adult women with ADHD are currently still the, the fastest, like, rate our uh, largest growing demographic of people being diagnosed. Um, and this, while there's some controversy around this idea that women present uh, differently with ADHD um, than than men do. Um, there's, I think, it is also very true for women with with, with autism, because um, one of the the sort of differences with with uh, generally speaking with women with autism that women are better social um, imitators. 
meaning like the 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 female brain is just more wired for social interaction. They've done actually some really interesting uh, studies. Um, uh, Simon Baron Cohen uh, did some studies where they're looking at um, newborns where uh, they would you know, show a picture of a truck and a picture of a face. And there's a higher correlation between those uh, with um, uh, autism who would look at the truck versus, um, you know, more, more neurotypical would look at the face. And this is like within the first hour or two of, of life. Um, and so these, these studies have also then tracked uh, people over time and I found that, that often women with, because, um, women are more sort of socially wired to mirror their, uh, environment. And we know that, that those mirror neurons are, um, implicated with, with, uh, autism. Is that like when, so when I like raise my hand as a part in your brain, Becca, that also raises your hand, but there's also another part of your brain that puts on the brakes from the body from actually doing that. Um, and when that brake is actually faulty, that's also where Tourette syndrome can, can come out. Um, but so socially we, uh, with with not much conscious effort for most people, very little conscious uh, uh, attention are able to figure out what is expected in the places where we go just is the moment we walk into a room, right? So women who are more sort of wired to do this are able to imitate socially in a way that's easier um, than than men are uh, and boys and men on with, with autism because um, with with um, part of the one of the theories around autism this also comes from uh, uh, Simon Baron Cohn, who was also a cousin of Sasha Baron Cohn, the comedian, um, who uh, talks about how the um, sort of the autistic brain is the extreme male brain, and he's even done some some studies that have sort of proven that in the realm of testosterone, um, which is really interesting that people with autism tend to have higher levels of testosterone. Um, so just some really interesting things sort of on the organic level of the brain um, and how it's sort of the, the wiring, how that kind of shows up um, uh, and how it presents differently between men and women. Yeah. And, and I remember like reading somewhere uh, like as well, you know, that um, for, you know, you know, that like for, for girls and, and women, you know, that they are better at socially imitating, but, but it doesn't mean that like it cognitively comes natural to them and it also doesn't mean that like they um empathize the same way that neurotypical women um empathize so it's more of a logical process for you oh my oh my gosh oh my gosh yes can you can you would you be able to sort of walk us through your sort of like logic and thinking when you're like interacting with other people like is do you think through at that level where you would be able to sort of like tap into your brain to share with us how you think through social interactions support for this podcast comes from all of our patrons I really appreciate all of the patrons who help make this podcast possible with all of your contributions. I want to thank Sakari V for your $10 a month donation. I really appreciate your support. We are all in a difficult situation during COVID-19, and I appreciate all of you who are listening who are able to financially support this podcast. Last week, I did an interview with Tan Pham from the Productivity Show podcast, and we talked about a very timely topic. The topic was working from home. This will probably not be out for a few more weeks, but the audio, video, and even a transcript of our conversation is available right now to all patrons who give at the $5 a month level or more. And I promise it's actually there. Sometimes I say it's there and that gives me accountability to go post it. I've already posted it. If you can't give financially, consider leaving me a rating and review on your podcast provider or share the podcast or your favorite episode to your favorite ADHD group. All of your support is appreciated. For those who can give at the $25 a month level or more can join us for our monthly coaching call. What's a monthly coaching call? Well, you get to share something that you are struggling with so I can personally help you with that. And we do it on Zoom every Fourth Tuesday of the month, the next one is on Tuesday, April 28th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. So if you're looking for a little extra help, 
consider giving a contribution at the $25 a month level. To become a patron, go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. This week on Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, he discusses the importance of scientific literacy in dealing with bad science. Check out Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb this week and every Monday. Join Will as he explores ways that you can work with your ADHD brain to do more of the things that you want to do. Subscribe to these short, mindful ways to hack your ADHD. Go to hackingyouradhd.com for show notes and to subscribe easily. Also, every Friday, check out ADHD Essentials, the podcast with Brendan Mahan. Brendan's guests include parents, educators, and experts focused on children with ADHD. Go to ADHDessentials.com to learn more. Both Hacking Your ADHD and ADHD Essentials are both part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network, available to everyone, everywhere you consume podcasts. Join me and the host of ADHD Essentials, Brendan Mahan, and the host of Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb, every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, for an hour of live Q&A. And we're doing it next week. Register for free at ADHDrewired.com slash events. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. Our next one is on Tuesday. We hope to see you there. And starts at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you don't want to be late, tell yourself it's at 1.22 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to ask your question and want to ask it live on the podcast, please uh, wear headphones and uh, be in a quiet space if you can. We hope to see you there. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. I want to thank everyone who participated on April 1st in our special anniversary recording, which celebrated our six years of podcasting. It was very moving to hear everyone's stories about what the podcast and community has meant to them. And a special thanks to Jessica McCabe of How To ADHD for celebrating with other ADHD rewired community members. That special event will be on the podcast soon. So if you missed it, you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired and get the downloads wherever you consume podcasts. So don't forget to make sure you hit subscribe. I think the, the most tangible example I, I could give is, is with funerals, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So like with, with, with funerals, with family members passing away. Oh gosh. I hope I don't like come across as like a mean person, but in my heart, you know, I don't feel sad, but I know that if, if I were to just be at the funeral, you know, just smiling or not smiling, but just, you know, not expressing sad emotions that people that that's bad. Cause Hey, this is a few, this is, this isn't just like a random person. This is your aunt, you know, who, who passed away. So yeah. So, so when my aunt passed away and, and like she, and it was a surprise, like my aunt, um, she was young, she was in her sixties. She got run over by a truck. Oh gosh. So, I mean, it was a, a tragedy. Um, I was, I, I think the best way I can describe it is I was sad cognitively, but I didn't feel sadness in my heart. And so what I would do. So in terms of funeral and family, you know, um, I just kind of model what everyone else is doing. You know, it's, it's not like I was fake and just, you know, crying, but I would, I would say things to people. And I mean, this is true. I would say things like, wow, this is a terrible tragedy, you know, and, and this is so sad, you know, I'm, um, I'm happy to see you, but I'm sorry for the the circumstances. So just kind of hope, hopefully people don't think I'm just like this horrible person. I, I, (laughs) I suspect both listeners with and without autism are actually relating to this more than you might realize. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. So yeah. And in terms of like empathy, I don't feel cause, cause like I, I care deeply about people, but it's different. It's cognitive. When I show compassion 
And when I show like empathy, it's not from a feeling and emotional place. It's from a cognitive place of, you know, Hey, I see that. I see that you're hurting. Um, I, I don't know how that feels, but Hey, you're human. I'm a human. I care about you. I want to show that I care about you. And in order for you to know that or feel that I care about you, I have to um, physically emote with my body and facial expression. Yeah. So it's um, maybe it's more mechanical. It's almost like it's like social emotional math in a sense. It's like an algorithm that you, that it seems like you are, are putting into, all right, I know what is expected in these situations. I know what I want to be able to show because I am a caring person. I know that just my instincts don't show it the way everyone else's do. So I have to match what my body is, is doing, what my words are saying. So people are, um, you know, thinking about me in the way that I want them to think about me. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also read somewhere that, 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 that people with autism, that sometimes like their outward emotions don't map, don't match the appropriate emotions. So just, I don't know why this happened. Oh, maybe other people on the spectrum struggle with this too. But I noticed that at funerals, like when I see people crying, I sometimes smile and laugh. I'm not happy. I don't think this is funny. Like, um, and I know it's inappropriate. And if I can't control it, then I'll just, you know, go to the bathroom. Does, does anyone else on the spectrum smile and laugh at you? It can't just be me. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know what episode number this is going to be, but uh, you can either go on the website and put that in the comments or when uh, this is posted on uh, on Facebook, you know, put uh, put in the comments if you relate. Because I, I know that there are people who are relating to this. Um, I used to have a lot of clients that I would uh, I would work with when I used to do, um, I had my clinical practice because the other half of my, my clinical specialty was uh, was autism. Um well, I, I would come out to the waiting room and be like, what's wrong? You look like really angry about something. And when they say like, no, I couldn't be happier. I know they're telling the truth. Right. So there's like this total mismatch. I'm like, it's so interesting. Cause like your brow is furrowed. Your lips are kind of pursed where you, you look like you want to kind of kill someone right now. And they're like, no, I'm just like, I'm just thinking about something. Right. And then, and so talk about like being misunderstood. I mean, people with ADHD, we know that feeling of being misunderstood. Now imagine if just like the way we present ourselves emotionally in, in these very fundamental ways is how we're being misunderstood. That's, that's hard. Yeah. And I've, uh, yeah. And I've also been, been told I, sometimes when I'm concentrating thinking or confused, I've also been told that I look angry. It's like, no, I'm just like, I'm just trying to concentrate, you know? But if you think about, so when you look at sort of scales of, of, um, sort of what our face does in anger. So, focus if you have that laser focus almost like an aggressive hunting look like that like you need focus to like laser in on something that anger is sort of a, an expansion sort of of that um i used to do a lot of work with um uh teaching uh individuals sort of micro expressions and doing micro expression training so teaching those very subtle nonverbal sort of facial um uh responses that show what somebody is thinking even when they don't want to be showing what they're thinking um cuz our face will do it will express those those different uh, nonverbal cues um whether we like them to or not uh so we're from Paul Ekman um oh, right like the yeah like the emotions like there's a facial expression for disgust, mm-hmm. contempt, right? That, yeah, that kind of and thing. if you sort of know what to look for, um, and this is interesting because I've done this with a, with a number of uh, clients that I used to work with who came in saying they, they don't know how to reface it. It's not something they'll ever know how to do. And I'm like, okay, well, let's try this. And they were then calling me out on my own like nonverbal leaks and that was, which was so exciting to have a client come in who's like, I can't read emotions. And I, you know, this is not something, this is, this is what neurotypical people do. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be like that. I'm like, okay, but 
let's just tries. And so uh, there were some apps that we used uh, that, that taught micro expressions and um, they, they did some training around this. And it was just, you know, it's, it kind of just goes to show that like, no matter what the challenge is, there are ways we can learn and improve on things, even if it seems to be a sort of sideways way of going about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause we can get into a whole other conversation about, about like what is normal and like who gets to define normal because, you know, so much of the previous research and, you know, treatment on autism is that there is something fundamentally wrong with the person. And I don't know, I'm just putting this idea out there, but it just could be a possibility that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the person, but they just have a socially different way of being in in the world. That's just, Another individual difference, such as, you know, some people have brown eyes, some people have blue eyes, but we wouldn't say that, you know, one is fundamentally normal or better, right? right? To, to quote, uh, you know, Temple Grandin, it's different, not less. Exactly. And I think that is something that in this whole kind of neurodivergent umbrella um, that we all kind of find ourselves in, I think there's so much truth in in that it's different but not less and the importance of knowing yourself knowing sort of your strengths understanding your challenges um and knowing how to sort of work with all of those things is so important in for us to be able to live the lives that that we want to live um you know there's you know with, with ADHD and I, I think this is also true with with autism um when you have an area that you are interested in, like there's not much of a challenge with focus other than stopping. Um, yeah. Right. And so it's like, understand those strengths and what you bring to a, a, a situation and also how to communicate like what you need. Um, and so you can be of a value, whether it's in an organization that you're working for or in relationship and be able to communicate. So, so you are understood because I think fundamentally that is all any of us want is to feel understood, to feel connected uh, to others and uh, to feel like we matter. Yeah, absolutely. And also just, in just in terms of just the world, you know, like when in addition to wanting to be seen and understood, I think also accepted because, you know, because like in, in it in terms of, of, of autism, you know, there, there there's kind of this debate in terms of whether um, if in the future, you know, if there's a, a cure for autism, if we should just employ that. So there is just no more autism ever, or I personally think that, you know, we should just be um, accepting and inclusive of people, not just because that like, oh, well, we should just be accepting and inclusive because they can't help the way they are. And like, there's no cure, but I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings about like finding a cure and just you, you get you get what I mean? No, totally. And, and but it's interesting because in the the even just in the realm of, of ADHD, um, you know, in in the sort of theoretical question or the hypothetical question of you know you have the red pill or the blue pill, like you know which one one of them will make your your ADHD completely go away? Would you take it? Um, I might, but then I'd also have to probably find a different line of work. <laughs> Um, cause I've kind of, uh, you know, built my, you know, and sort of the idea of like, you know, I don't think that ADHD is a gift, but you can create gifts from your life experience, right? I think that because I've had various challenges throughout my life as a result of having ADHD, one of the gifts that has brought me is I, I know how I learn, right? I know how my brain works. Like that's a really... I think that's a really wonderful thing to be able to, to say and to really have that sort of self knowledge. I think it just makes life a lot more rich. Um, if I didn't have these challenges, would I have spent all this time and effort trying to figure out, you know, how I learn so I can do the things that I want to do? Probably not. Right. So I don't know. It's, but ADHD, like 
it makes things hard. I think that I'm sure that living with, with anything that is outside of the statistical norm can make things hard. And it does require us to put in more effort in different domains of life because, you know, not everyone in the world is and in our society gets it. And it's, you know, and it could be exhausting to try to have, you have to have to communicate all the time to, you know, for what we need and have to be an advocate for ourselves all the time. You know, sometimes it's nice to just want to be, you know, which is sort of the appeal of, of Hogwarts where all of us can just go and be wizards and all the muggles can just go and do their thing. It's Harry Potter references. So if people don't know what I'm talking about, listen to Harry Potter on, on audio. You can, um, here's my shameless plug for audible. I'm actually re-listening to Harry Potter right now with my son. Um, we're on book four and I didn't think that I would love it the first time I listened to it and I loved it and I like it just as much the second time. And I'm not into that realm of books either. So we're going to end on a total tangent about Harry Potter. Is that's a good way to end an ADHD podcast, right? Totally in ADHD fashion. Um, is there anything else you want to, uh, to add, uh, to this conversation, um, that you want to leave listeners with? Um, can't think of anything. All right. I'm sure as soon as we say goodbye, there'll be like nine different thoughts that will come to you. And that's oh, just, yeah, totally. that's the way we roll. So Becca, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your story. Um, I'm, uh, I'm really appreciative of it. And I'm sure that a lot of listeners are also, uh, going to get a lot of value out of, uh, of hearing it. Cause I bet you that there is going to be a, a bunch of listeners that are now wondering, Hmm, could I also have autism? Maybe. And what I would suggest is, don't just go to anyone to find out, like look to see who the specialists are in the area. Same thing with ADHD. You gotta, you gotta find someone who really understands, um, these, these, uh, very kind of unique neurodivergent disorders. Um, and not someone who just diagnoses everything because often those people don't really understand the nuances of, of both ADHD and autism. Uh, so Becca, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us. And, uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tibbers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tibbers. You can also subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube. And you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. 
One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? In no particular order. Check out Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 10% Happier, and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audiobooks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books. And I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books, starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability. And if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, you would be so kind to make that connection for me. I would be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tiggers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do hard things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.